Greetings and welcome to Resistance Recovery. Resistance Recovery is dedicated to the exploration of any and all topics related to recovery, spirituality, and culture. Join us as we interview thought leaders working at the edges of cultural transformation. My name is Piers Kanuka, and I'll be your host. and welcome to installment four of the Resistance Recovery Big Book Conversations. Once again, James is coming at you from Wisconsin and I am back at the Alcine Center where I'm increasingly thinking I belong. I should not be allowed to leave. So if you want to pay for me to do that, let me know. Um, so we are we are here at the the final stretch, the um, the B of service steps, yeah. but also nine, the end the end of the clean house and, and the B of service steps steps nine through twelve. Right. And any leading thoughts? Yeah, I do have something about amends before we move into um, 10, 11, 12 stuff. Um, and one thing is that like throughout these conversations, we've been, you know, thinking about the big book and our experiences with it, but also like from a resistance recovery angle. And, um, one thing that we've run into has been that the resistance recovery way of thinking, whatever that is, seems to butt heads with the sort of personal responsibility ethos of 12 step culture when you're thinking about social causes and, and higher level stuff and the sensibilities about, well, what is the role of the individual in this? And, you know, in, in the 12 steps, of course, it's central. <clears throat> it's sort of a penitent spirituality. It's about me confessing my wrongs and me making right for them. And in amends, you sort of have that coming to its head, right? It's like the, the big act of personal responsibility is showing up to someone you've harmed and saying, I did that. I'm here to turn myself over to you uh, to take full responsibility for what happened, at least what I've done, and um, see what happens. Right? There's no, it's like a fully embodied sense of the personal responsibility that you're getting there. And those experiences are really powerful. They're really transformative. And a lot of people, I think, would say, you know, they're sober today because they did those things. So, sort of like it's that, it's that strong of an experience, right? Um, which also means, you know, that's why I anticipate some people being sort of resistant towards uh, resistance recovery stuff, <laughs> like hesitant about resistance recovery stuff, because, hey, no, when I took personal responsibility, my life changed. That's huge for me, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one layer of thinking that I've got about that. You want to, do you have something on that? I got a couple of things, but keep yeah. going. Okay. Keep, keep going. going for now. Um, so the second little thread I want to draw into this is that we had talked a little bit last time about historical trauma or intergenerational trauma. And we sort of complicated thoughts about selfishness with thoughts about trauma, especially trauma that's like, you know, it, it's been going through your family lineage for generations. Um, whether that just be personal stuff, would that be like genocide and, um, you know, enslavement and other things like that that may have happened to your ancestors. Um, that those reverberations are still felt in your life in ways that, like, you're not responsible for, right? Um, so healing from that was, we were talking about, like, healing from being uh, the recipient of intergenerational trauma. But I, I think there's another side to that coin, which is that um, would be this notion, if there's intergenerational, like, um, trauma, is there also intergenerational amends to be made? Um, which is, which, which takes, how do I explain this? <laughs> I mean, at a very simple level, it's, it's something like this. If I steal $10 from you, then I owe you 10 bucks and an amends. Um, if my dad steals $10 from you and gives it to me, oh. I owe you 10 bucks at least. Right. Right. And if that goes down generations, there's a question of like, Oof. my ancestors, 
perpetuated genocide, enslavement, et cetera, upon yours. And I'm benefiting from that in ways that you are suffering from. Yeah. Um, and we are on these opposite sides of this historical scale in ways that I am not personally responsible for. I didn't do those things in the past. And so often I think our connection to those events, we sort of hand wave that, I'm talking about white people mostly or whatever, or men maybe, um, and say like, oh, well, you know, I didn't do that, so I don't have any responsibility towards that. Um, but that, the person who's suffering from those consequences can't say the same thing. They can't just wash it away. They can't just move it away. I saw a really good uh, metaphor for this somewhere and I'm forgetting who said it or exactly how it went. <laughs> so, but it was something like, you know, if your ancestors invented this hotel where um, people are enslaved and tortured all the time, um, and then you leave it to you to inherit, um, and you're not racist at all, you're just a real nice person with no bad intentions towards anybody, but you keep running the hotel the same way, then <laughs> what's the difference, right? Sure. Um, so there's a question about, um, is there a sense of like, uh, a broader sense of responsibility that I might be able to bring to, I don't know, something like an amends. I'm not sure that has to go on anybody's amends list, but is there some kind of way that I can think more broadly about my responsibility to the world that I'm in as a person, my ecological responsibility, my responsibility towards intergenerational trauma um, and so forth. Yeah, well, you certainly started us off with two giant things. Right. Um, my head is firing. I guess right now I'm feeling like the smaller of the two, mm -hmm. the first one for sure. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that about this business about responsibility, um, I don't know if it's correct to say there's an as-if element. That sounds a little too ironic or something, but yeah. but when I'm making amends for something I did in the throes of alcoholism or heroin addiction, I even though if I drove a car drunk and killed a bunch of people, they would certainly put me in prison as well. They should. Sure. I'm the only I'm the only agent you can really hold accountable. But if I am, you know, 15 years old and already a drug addict and I've taken up a, but got these habits of theft and lying and deceit, mistreating girls, all this and that, at some point, I'm really out of control. Um, so when I make an amends for that behavior, the only it's a making amends for this version of me that was out of control right right um which implies that in order to make amends i have to get to a place where i'm capable of doing it. and so so many addicts will say that you know during active addiction they'll they'll feel they get sober for periods or wake up the hangover they have contr contrite yeah and they'll they'll be genuinely contrite and they'll try to make amends or they'll say they're sorry usually mm -hmm. and then they turn around and they do it again because there's something there's some lack of agency they don't they're not in control so i mean that's this interesting thing that um um i i through the recovery process i get to a place where i can take account of what take responsibility for what I did because now I'm capable of doing that. Right? Yeah. And and the the idea of moving forward from that is that and this kind of segues into your second point that having arrived at a place where I can own consequences of my addiction, the consequences of my behavior, I may now have a skill set that will let somebody else do the same. I can be an instrument in someone else's recovery right. by virtue of having gotten to that place. Sure. 
So the larger question then becomes, and I think this is very resistance recovery, does that mean that with a little more work, a little extra work, a little deeper digging, do I have the ability to take responsibility for some of the forces that caused me to be an addict to begin with, especially the way those forces play out in an adolescent world? Right. I tend to think they do, although I don't think that's a given without... Um, I mean, there's more you have there. to you have to be able to analyze, you know, I don't know, it depends on your situation, but family dynamics, intergenerational generational trauma, perhaps racism, perhaps right. God knows what. Right. You have to be able to see those things, take account of them, see how they shape your life, and then respond right. to that. Right. And, and see how what it explore and name what it means to live. Without those things controlling your life, because they're obviously mm -hmm. going to impact your life. Mm -hmm. or controlling your life to the point where it feeds something like drug addiction and despair. Right. <clears throat> there may be some value too in not just seeing how that happened. Well, I think there's real value in seeing how it happened historically. But I think that we don't do that normally exactly in our inventory process. We don't say how yeah. social forces X, Y, and Z shape my experience. Look like you get that when you go to sociology 101, right? Yeah, that's um, right. Exactly uh, right. And so those things are untouched by a normal four-step inventory and can persist. Meaning you may roll right into, roll right back into the same kind of, you, you, you said this to me one time in a while, which is, I think you borrowed this from White Bison, but it was like, you take a sick tree out of a sick forest and get it well and put it back in the sick forest, you get a sick tree. Yeah. Right. Which is that, and I feel like maybe there's some of that going on, like the cultural sickness that we are born out of, that we've then heal from, that we've then returned to, and then we're doing the same garbage. We're not necessarily getting high, but kind of shaped by the same forces in the same way, in ways that are problematic downstream for other people. Right. Right. And I think that's reason to you know for people to spend a lot more 12 steppers in particular or rank and file AA people to look at the whole concept of process addictions mm -hmm. you know the shopping and the phone and the steroids and all those things I mean, Alexander defines addiction as something that is an overwhelming involvement mm -hmm. with the substance or an activity that is harmful to you and your social relations. Right. So how often do people make real progress in recovery and then succumb to something like that and maybe never relapse again? Sure. And yet, like you say, downstream, they're causing all kinds of harm. Right. And yet, by these sort of narrow definitions of recovery and addiction, they're doing okay. If we just say, well, I didn't take a drug again. Yeah. But I'm doing all this other horseshit, right? Right. Yeah. But there's a real, yeah. there's a real sort of moral and cultural critique in that that might be more than a lot of people are actually comfortable with. Right. And that, uh, you know, that's club we're going to do i think speaks to a lot of that right right so the notion is that part of the reason why somebody slips into sex addiction after gaining off of heroin or whatever is because it's there in the culture it's there in their history it's there in their bodies and then off they go right it's not and just there's, and there's and they're still using sex as a way to regulate their affect and any impact they, that may have on other people is really secondary. Right, right. I wanna bring this back around to the responsibility piece. Um, there's a way, there's a, I think there's a way to talk about responsibility that is not identical to it's your fault. Like taking, or blame of something 
it is not necessarily the same thing as taking responsibility for something. Uh, and it's kind of edge casey, but it's like, I don't know, if my, my kid does something of his own free will and it causes a problem at school or something and I'm called to show up and I need to respond for my child, right? Um, if I'm a, the boss of the company or something and <clears throat> an employee does something stupid, and then I have to be the public face of the company and respond for the behavior of it. Now, there might be systemic problems there that I'm responsible for directly, but <clears throat> sometimes you respond. Responsibility might just mean you're able to respond to something. You're able to stand in the place and take accountability for something that um, you're related to in some way, not necessarily yes. the only agent for. Yes. Um, so personal responsibility maybe is like pushing really hard on like, it's all your agency. Um, but responsibility itself can just sort of be, these things have happened in my story and I'm here to respond for them. Right? Yeah, I think, I think you know, I, I really like where you're going with this. I think that um, a good example of this would be a whistleblower. Yeah, right. So a whistleblower didn't do it, right? But she works for a company that does things that are beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. So she will represent that company and pay the consequences and be responsible, right? right. Um, I I think the the thing about that that's so interesting is that of late, for the last, I don't know. Probably, I know it was going back beyond the last administration. I think it was, we were reading about this, that whistleblowers are being, not being defended, they're being scapegoated. So it's like, yeah, there's a lot of like, sort of snitch culture around it or something. Sure. Um, Well, I mean, look at Chelsea Manning, right? Exactly. Here's all these war crimes. Or look at Edward Snowden. Look right. at it. yeah. Right. Um, so if if this location and all this is right, then it would suggest that this really speaks to your second question. You know, maybe it's time for us to be maybe we're being asked to be responsible for more and more times. Right. Which doesn't mean to say blame ourselves for something. It means to step forward and say, right? Yeah. Let's try. I mean, this was crucial to, you know, like you see this in Russian theology, but especially in figures like Dostoevsky, he, he would, in his novels, he was finally coming out and saying that we are all implicated in the, in the guilt, that, we, that by virtue of our humanity, hmm. we are implicated in the humanity and that I think he was saying that that kind of perspective would be the only way that we could start reconciling. Right. Right. So we're responsible as human beings. Yeah. We're responsible as Americans, as right. whatever we are, as whatever identity categories we fit into, we can be responsible in that space. Right. There's also an interesting way in which like when I make amends, even out of the sense of personal responsibility with strong emphasis on the personal, I did this thing. And on a lot of cases, it's really like, I took your money. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not like, I'm not gonna rest back and like, oh, social forces or whatever. Even though- I, I wasted your time. I wasted your I time. betrayed your trust. I took, yeah, I broke your heart. I did, right? I, all these things. Um, and there's a, in that moment of the highest level of personal responsibility you can get, there's a sort of a transcendence of the personal in the sense that it's no longer about, so much of the recovery process is about me and my inner workings and my feelings and stuff. And then I go and I stand it from somebody else and say, this is how I harmed you or tell me how I harmed you. And I open up this space and it's, it's not about me, it's about them. It's about the thing that happened between us and trying to heal something interpersonal rather than something that's all inside here. Um, and that suddenly my recovery becomes 
like fully social and relational in the way that it hasn't yet. I mean, it is relational. All my resentments are about my relationships. And when I'm standing there, man, it's like, right? Right. And I think the, the, to speak to this point, we're just coming out of it's, uh, I may be standing in for a host of shitbag boyfriends. Sure. I might be standing in for right. a line of bad bosses. Right, right. I might be the guy who scapegoated and bullied you, and you have lived a life of scape- and scapegoated and bullied. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where we're really kind of. Yeah. For that person, meaning for that person, I'm one in a line of garbage in their lives. And that's then right. I, and I show up and take responsibility not just for what I've done, but in their eyes, it's this opportunity to heal from the from the whole line or right. at least begin that healing. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything about that way of talking that is like so you know, resistance recovery or dislocation theory that it that it challenges step orthodoxy. Right. Um, but then I think maybe it's a little, it might be important to contrast that with, you know, I think white bison's really good because profiles of the kind of addicts that we rarely find ourselves in meetings with. And it's not necessarily race. I tend to think it's much class as anything. But, you know, people who have suffered such indignities, such uh, crimes against their person that, you know, White Bison talks about the need to forgive the unforgivable. And they're in a place where their forgiveness and their healing is of such huge importance for the future generations. Um, and that's one thing that I, I mean, we, we, we do touch that a little bit in, in 12 step world where, you know, I come from a line of drunks, yeah. this sort of thing, but it's not nearly, it's, no. it's, yeah, it's so much more personal. Sure. Yeah, ninety-nine percent of your people were the victims of genocide, and you're living downstream from that. That's right. Then, grandpa, or I'm an al- I'm an alcoholic, actively alcoholic First Nations person mm-hmm. who is seeing the news about two hundred and then six hundred mass graves of children. Apparently, right? You know right. what? Yeah, what do you do? Right. And and I think that a corresponding question that's more relevant to us is like, what do we do with that as white people, as right. downstream from the benefit benefactors of that? Well, we don't have to do anything about it as you know, alcoholics in recovery if we're never around those alcoholics in recovery from those communities. Right. Right. <laughs> really gets me. Right. Right. Meaning that if we were in community with them and they were experiencing this, then we had had some healing and recovery and they had had some healing we could sort of facilitate. There's something that happened between us that- we And we could learn something. We should for hell, yeah. 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 It's really weird. I, I'll, I'll mention it, I won't name any names, but you know, there was this thing on the RR YouTube page where you know, pretty hardcore 12 stepper called Trauma, the Flavor of the Month. Mm-hmm. You know, you can imagine how that that went over. Um, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I didn't think to say this, but I don't think, you know, Don C. of White Bison would call trauma the flavor of the month. No, that's the taste of generations. Right. That's the air you breathe. Right. That's your nervous. Right. Right. And so I'm I'm projecting on this guy, but what I imagine is he's saying that out of like this sort of ethos of like you just own all your shit and off you go, you're a fine individual in the middle of society and back to it. 
Yeah, and he was also kind of saying that, you know, sort of fads pass through in the recovery world, but, you know, in the last analysis, we still have the thing going. Right. I've certainly felt that way in the past. I will name myself as guilty of that kind of thinking when I would think um, anything that sounded like it was from a treatment center or sounded like it was from pop psychology was immediately suspect and like on the shit list. Just the big book, that's all there is. So sorry, I had that kind of mentality and it, it, it lasted a while. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it I didn't mean, get I'm, me. I'm sure I still slide into it. Right. About certain things. I, I'll, I'll notice this that, you know, when I started noticing uh, groups of people for whom the steps didn't work, and there was part of me that could see that it was, you know, often there was something going on there with um, literacy and sure. economic privilege. Mm -hmm. And I never. I never thought of those things in terms of trauma. And then my mind was incapable of going, well, you know, trauma is wrapped in there with the absence of privilege. Right. Traumatized brain does not learn readily as a, you know, all yeah. that. I, I, I was not able to even think like that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a bit of shame about my unwillingness to, or my inability to see that. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. in a way it was there right in front of us in Farmington. Sure. Because, you know, some of those people that we were hanging out with had pretty rough backgrounds. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Western Maine, uh, when, you know, paper mills close down and whatever and leave towns without work and all that kind of hard blue collar economic pain that you get around the country. It's all right there. Drinking and yeah. sexual violence. And, and generations of it. <laughs> generations. Right. That's right. Which is also a kind of trauma and also a kind of historical trauma that I don't want to minimize. Right. No, no, God, no. Right. We do that at our own peril. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of inability to see uh, who, who disenfranchised white voters really are. Right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if there's like a, I don't think there's a clean answer or way forward from what we're discussing here, but I do think there's there's something in this soup that's potentially productive, right? There's some kind of um, sense about responsibility or a larger sense of um, amends making or... Uh, I do think bringing up white bison, though, is a sort of segue. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a, it's a way of... of, of a good step in recontextualizing step work and recovery for everyone. Sure. By taking that extreme example, we can sheds light on. Right. 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 So we have a lot to learn from them right now, even if we're, you know, we can read their books. The books are available, their documentaries are available. Right. But the idea that step work is as much about forgiveness as anything, sometimes. Mm -hmm. There are people for whom, you know, the injuries they've suffered far exceed the ones they've perpetrated or injuries visited on others, grandparents, and so on. Um, yeah, I, think, I, I really do. It, it's, it, it's like just talking to you in a way is interesting because I'm, I'm always sort of doing all that in my head, but to hear myself say it makes it seem bigger and it makes the, the older 12-step version of peers seem pretty naive. Right. Yes. right. Same. Um, I actually even want to go back to something we said at the beginning, or I said, which was like, 
you don't learn those things until sociology 101. Right. right? Which is kind of a privileged position to be in. Like, right. you don't get the social analysis of how things have affected you until you get to college or something. When, uh, if you're an uh, alcoholic on the res, you don't have to go to sociology 101 to know how your history affects you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're doing a bid for a drug crime in Attica, right right yeah that's interesting because having to learn things that way as opposed to learning it from people themselves can only happen by being proximate to those people right um, does point to a different problem in recovery circles, which is how white um, 12-step organizations tend to be. And, you know, even bigger than that, or I don't know if it's bigger, but, uh, you know, only this narrow percentage of people can access treatment. Right. So people would be shocked if they knew that only like one in five people can access treatment right now. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's flat. That's because of cost, yeah, for sure. Because of cost and who has insurance and all that. And yeah. so the kind of problems that they show up with are going to be reflective of that group of people. Now, there's some crossover for sure. Um, but I think the trauma piece is different. It's so funny how the taboo on having this conversation prevents you from actually seeing the problem. Even in your own life. Even in your own life. So you never learn this stuff. Really, I mean, maybe friends where you do. You get a master's in counseling or social work, hope you still. But um, it's really not a focus. Mm -hmm. The you learn about it, it's incidental. I mean, they, they, they have to pay lip service to multiculturalism, but they don't really get into the pretty of it. And then we're not really, we're discouraged from talking about it in the recovery world. Those are powerful taboos. Those, that's strong. That's strong. Right. That's an outside issue. Yeah. Outside people, issue prevents, like, limits our vision quite significantly. It really does. In ways that are, like, prevent the kind of conversation like this, but also prevent people from saying, like, hmm, I'm, I seem to be watching more porn every day. Mm -hmm. That's an outside issue. Hmm, right. I seem to be, like, spending all my money. Yeah. Every time I get some, it's gone. Like, you're not supposed to talk. That's like, you know, all those process addictions you're talking about, which is so really common to get sober off a substance and fall into a process. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, and there's not, you have to go to a different meeting in order to talk about it when it's all part of the same recovery. Yeah. You have, you have to be, wear nine hats to be like, <laughs> to get any kind of sense of wellness. I was at a meeting once in Maine. It was a pretty rough guy, and he says, uh, he's complaining about how much weight he gained. Mm. He got sober. He says, Jesus, all I do is eat and eat and eat, and my girlfriend would just feed me and feed me and feed me. And then she broke up with me. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, now I'm so fat, nobody wants me. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> Oh, so good. He's right, and he's nailing it. He's even did, did people give him shit for that, or was he okay? No, because it's so funny. We all just laughed. <laughs> but um, so then we arrive at this place. Let's just get all kind of ideal. Mm -hmm. That you're the you're one of the ones who can stand up and tell men's stories in meetings. Yeah, you're the ones who can honestly say that around that time making amends and since that time you no longer have the mental obsession 
And now you're in this call it a maintenance phase or growth phase, or but it's different. And that all looks kind of different now in light of what we just talked about, right? Yeah, I think the, the term maintenance is an interesting one. People generally talk about steps 10, 11, 12 as that. Yeah. Maintenance, like the, the boat, is it floats and it goes, the engine works, and you're just on there like oiling gears and turning screws and keeping it, keeping it you know, going. You know how to do it now. You know how to do it. Keep doing it. Don't fuck it up. Um, and it's like, it's not like, um, it's not that you're done or fixed because you have to continually revisit this, but it's also like you hit a kind of a ceiling. Like, this is it. You've arrived. This is the thing. Now, now keep what you've got, right? Um, which on one hand is really true and important. Like, you are fucking sober. You don't want to give that up. And you've had some really important experiences and insights and stuff that you don't want to lose track of. And all the tools we've acquired along the way are super useful. I've definitely had like resentments that uh, in the, after I wrote fourth step that were then um, amenable to 10 step inventory and made my life a lot better to be able to be like, okay, this is, I don't think I could have stayed married as long as I did without that kind of stuff. But maintenance kind of attitude of like, oh, here's the problem again. Let's work on it. Yeah. Um, but the notion that that is like, you sort of hit the top of what recovery can be and now you're just gonna sail your ship across the sea um, feels limiting. Um, and I think prevents us from looking at ways in which we're actually, so the, the contrast of the maintenance metaphor is the growth metaphor, I think. Yeah, growing in effectiveness and understanding. Right, right. And yeah, in fact, both of those metaphors are in the book, right? Yeah. Um, but they're pretty different frames of mind about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. If we just stay in maintenance mode and don't go flip over into growth mode. Uh, but effectiveness and understanding seems to be, I mean, understanding is the one that you could probably run with and turn it into what you want, but it really seems to be relevant to the 12th step. Right. I grow in my effectiveness as a sponsor or mm -hmm. delivering this message. I mean, that's that's the way I take it anyway. Yeah. Always it's, take it. Yeah. Sure. It seems relevant to that context of setting. Yeah. So it's not saying like effectiveness as a human being in the world, mm -hmm. effectiveness as uh, like an emissary of God's healing powers, <laughs> <laughs> not effectiveness as like, um, I guess as an agent of recovery, because as a sponsor, that's what you are. You have recovery and you're trying to give it to somebody else. And hopefully that keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. But within the bounds of what isn't isn't taboo what isn't isn't an outside issue right so you're you're you don't get recovered and then think we need um i don't know we need to change the insurance we need right. to right uh, have, have a commission on prescribing addictive drugs to children we need right. to yeah prison reform right right we need an investigation of the uh, um, missionary schools in America to coincide with the ones that happen in Canada. We need um, to think about the way that we as a culture are addicted to things like fossil fuels and, and tumorism in ways that are destructive of all life on the planet. Right. I mean, that's not that's not how we're supposed to. That's not growth of effectiveness and understanding is not. None of that is implied. Yeah. In um, that statement. But we're attempting to imply <laughs> we are and yeah. and there's the word itself can be taken that way uh, but there's also you know page uh, I mean there's this statement that you know nobody pays attention to the implications of this for um, talking about page 19 
Okay. Of necessity, there will have to be discussion of matter, mm. matters medical, psychiatric, social, and religious. Right. And virtually all of those, especially the first three, medical, psychiatric, and social, or I should really say psychiatric and social, mm. are the ones where the taboo is strongest. Right. Because if social smells anything like political, then that's taboo. And then psychiatric, of course, is right. It's taboo, yeah. So that's written in thirty-seven, eight, or nine. And then by the time we get the traditions, we have a strong tenth tradition about outside contributions. Right. Right. So Bill writing that, you know, he had to have some awareness that or some experience with people that are, you know, taking tranquilizers or adamant that they can't do step work because of their religious background. Or, you know, he had to be encountering things that we still encounter today. Right. Then he backed off it. Sure. Yeah, the, the, with the primary purpose kind of a statement or? Well, it's, yeah, primary purpose, 10th tradition. Yeah, right. Um, so, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> there was a time I, I'm not I even sure how I feel about it either. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure I feel whether that's a lamentable thing. Right. Yeah. Or, sure. or is the real issue that we have to have another forum to do what we're doing? Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm leaning. I, I mean, I used to feel very strongly that like we could take hold of the twelve-step movement and reform it for. Yeah, thought <laughs> we were morons. <laughs> turn it back from the brink, and, you know. What I mean? And I wasn't even trying to turn it the way I would turn it now, right? turn it back to some kind of religious zealotry out of the big book fundamentalism or something oh yeah yeah but you don't want to do this oh <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah right so i don't know that like that that we're gonna i don't think there's much to be accomplished in the way of reforming institutions like alcoholics anonymous no. narcotics anonymous or i think there's great work to be done within those institutions you can start a meeting you can share your story, you can express all kinds of things. You can, you know, share ideas and have your own experience and sponsor people. It's all great work to do. But in terms of like the ideas that we're talking about and the conversations we're having, I think that resistance recovery exists because it doesn't find a home in those places. It's not welcome mm -hmm. there. In fact, it's like you say, it's explicitly sort of verboten by the by the structures and traditions. So it's essentially going to be something outside of a 12-step program. And I'm not even sure that resistance recovery would want to be a 12-step program. Right? I mean, it's 12-step no, I mean, the, the, the True. And the problem becomes, though, what if those so-called outside issues are directly relevant to your recovery as a fifth-generation alcoholic from an Irish family? Right. Um, what if it really would make a difference? Yeah, then you're not going to find it there. Yeah, so and that's so where what, are you going to find it? Yeah, and the thing, you know, one of the things that I don't probably you might read it from the book we're going to do, but he talks about how much of an identity a person has as a function of the individual's relationship to an institution. You belong to this family, this club, this movement. And doesn't preclude you from critiquing the movement or being a pain in the ass to the movement, but it's a source of identity. Mm -hmm. And that identity becomes much harder as institutions, including ones like family and neighborhood, um, disappear. Right. So there is part of me that feels that whatever this thing is, it fills in a gap. It has to have some semblance of an institution. Sure, but not not a, not a reform movement within its institution. That, its that's right. Institution. Yeah, one in dialogue, perhaps, with other institutions, or right. conflict with them. Or 
Right. Yeah. Right. But it, so, yeah. And what does that look like? I guess that now we're reaching into questions of like what ought resistance recovery itself as an entity do and be? You yeah. Know, does, does it need meetings and stuff like that? Um, which maybe takes us a little bit outside the realm of what should 10, 11, 12 look like. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I think you're right. And that's probably another conversation, but yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking now, let's compare. Uh, let's just say it's 12. Let's compare 12 sure. to 11 for a second. So yeah. we're talking about information that's relevant to recovery that you can't talk about in recovery. All right. Yep. In 11, there's a kind of interesting parallel where, you know, our understanding of the value of 11 extends far beyond what it did when the book was written. Sure. So Bill's pretty cool about making it wide open. There's plenty of books and we should shy away from religion, but you shouldn't feel compelled. And that's all great. That's some of the real strength of it. But now we're at a point where, you know, the value of that stuff has been corroborated by science. Right, sure. But, you know, yoga and meditation and prayer and all these things, they actually sure. have a plethora of physical right, studies. Benefits. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And so that is not, none of that is as challenging to the status quo of, treatment or AA. You can go in a meeting and talk about whatever your 11 step practice is and call it an 11 step practice and it fits. And you could probably say, you know, no wonder I felt better than I read this John Cabot Zinn book and he said, oh yeah, that'll lower your blood pressure and that'll improve sleep and sexual performance and all these things. And you're like, who would have thought, right? Right, right. However, if you keep pushing even the 11th step envelope, you're going to wind up in that trauma world still. Tell me what you mean. Well, there's such a strong correlation between stress and trauma and addiction. Oh, sure. That's what's driving the show. So let's take up practices that relieve you from the pathetic nervous response. Then. Right. So, you know, you even, you'll, you'll even wind up there. If you keep pushing the envelope, you'll still so, wind up in the social ideology. Right. You may not. Well, so if, if you're reading and studying in your 11th step, for sure, you'll end up pushing into that stuff. But you may like, even like sitting with like a, like say I decide I'm a centering prayer guy, which I did for five years or a Zen guy or whatever, and you're going to sit and you're going to do that practice. And it's every day for years and years and years. You're saying eventually you'll hit a point where you're like, stuff is coming to surface that is more than just. Or you might just notice that, you know, the sponsees that you can get to do it benefit and the ones you don't can't, or, or uh-huh. you'll notice that the people are showing up differently than they were 10 years ago. And right. Looks like stress and trauma. And, yeah, I don't know. It yeah. just seems to me that there's no. I mean, I do think it. I do think it's possible for people to not ask those questions and have a nice, tight, sure, meditation practice. That, right. That really has efficacy. I do think that's possible. It seems to me, though, what, you know, the the longer you're at this, the harder you're almost got to go ostrich after a while. Right. Like, what the fuck is going on and why is this getting so bad and these people showing up in meetings oh my god mm-hmm. you know that's that's where i am in now i mean mm-hmm. when we have staff meeting now and we sit there and we go through the clients i mean we're often like we're blown away we're marveling right at the kind of baggage they're bringing them right and those are the percentage of people who can access treatment. Right, right. Not even the people that can't even <laughs> so get like, what, what is it like out on there? So you're saying to me that maybe addiction is getting worse out there than it was when we were. Oh, I have, I, I would take everything. And not just, not just in the sense of like, there's more of it and there's more deaths, but the ex- lived experience of individual addicts, Both. similar situations to us, 
going to be. It came to me for the first time last week, which kind of shocked me. It took, took, took it this long for it to come to me. I said to myself, Bill Wilson had it so much easier. Than I don't know. Because even though it was the Depression, mm-hmm. there were still the sort of vibrant institutions in American life that you did not think that, oh, where's he going to go to? You know, the father's a workaholic and the mother's got her own problems. The only, only, the only social activity he does outside of doing drugs is playing games. I mean, I don't, you know, whatever. You know, if you read that early AA, we're doing potlucks and we're, mm-hmm. and we're going out, you know, even, well, you know, I had a guy, I don't know if you remember him. There was a guy who came around, around the same time as you. And he's gotten better. He's one of Mikey's guys. And he says to me one day, he goes, remember how it was back in chapter two? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, remember how we always went to Irving's afterwards? And I go, oh, yeah, I go, the, the, that would often be better than the meeting. And he goes, exactly. Mm. He goes, nobody does that. Mm. Or if mm. they do, they're all sitting at the table like this. Right. So, yeah, I think the getting worse is definitely true. And right. I think, and I think that, that more than anything explains, and this just could be my perspective. What I, what, what I perceive to be the diminished efficacy of step work. Mm-hmm. Not that step work isn't the best modality that ever came down the pike, I think it still is, but the people are so, they, they're, it's not meaningless. More alienated than ever. More alienated than ever. than ever. Yeah, it was like this Kent Dunnington interview I did a while ago where he said, those young people he goes remember there's no contrasting set is what he said. so you know when Piers is a drug addict in 1994 it's a heroin habit or something I'm like shit you know the money's running out I'm not going to the gym anymore um, I lost the girlfriend right. there's contrasting oh contrasting sure. okay. life you know I'm still an addict but before heroin like, yeah. and whereas if you're a kid who's been medicated or abusing drugs and digital pornography, and that's your world, it's that, an alternative to look back to. You didn't lose anything. Yeah, it's, just it's not like live. that's right. Not when I was in the bowling league with my dad. Right, right. Where I had that nice girl. There was no point of connection to refer back to, but you could say, "I missed that. I'm really searching for." Right. Action in a certain way or like a point of meaning. Well, so this is telling me that like the point about Irving's, I think, is interesting because it shows like an erosion in the fellowship. Right. Um, which is interesting. Which, which, if you're not doing steps, is the value and strength of, of the whole thing. Right. And even if you're not, or even if you I mean, are, if you're there's are, still a lot of right. value in it. Yeah, huge, huge. Can't do it by yourself. That's for damn sure. Can't do it by yourself. And there's something about um, being a family of addicts together and sharing uh, a level of experience together and sorting out, like, what are you learning and what are you feeling and what are you experiencing versus what am I going through? And um, right. people and, and you t- can count on to be like, hey, this is, I'm, my 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 marriage is in trouble. I need someone to talk to about it and help me through this. And it might not measure might not be right in the door. It measure might be someone else. But yeah. like having people you can rely on to um, be there for you and share a common identity is what Irving's felt like, right? Yeah. Um, and sure it's, did. Yeah, and and that, and what do you got? And it was often so wonderful because you really are sitting there with people that are. Really different. Yeah. Wow, I, I like this guy. Yeah. You're enjoying the conversation and full of surprise and wonder. Yeah. Humanity. And... Yeah. So we need fellowship, and fellowship also seems like it's. Um, I mean, this is certainly how the big book talks about it. It's a product of step work. 
It's a, you know, we have more than the Titanic people or whatever the hell it was. Like, we didn't just survive. We're now, like, connected by the... It says, he says on, that is on page 17. But if that in itself was all that brought us together, we would not be held together as we are now joined. So just this problem, as a fact is we found a common solution. It should be a problem, common solution. That's right. Identity and institution. Right, right. And that ought to be one of the fruits of step work is people with that shared experience bonding together around it and sharing some part of their lives together about it. Yeah. Um, and what, you know, in, and to maybe defend the old James and Piers yeah. a little bit, is I think what we were, at least I'm pretty sure what I was hoping is that if we went back to the roots and started doing these things, that we could revitalize this. Yeah. And that would spread. Right. um, It seemed like, you know, it it did start kind of, you know, it wasn't what we anticipated, but we did see it spread and we did see, or at least I've seen enough of my own experiences kind of replicated that seemed to go on for a while, but where we are now, it, it, that did not, yeah. It it met these new headwinds or something. Yeah. I mean, I used to think a lot of that was just human nature. A lot of it was greed or laziness mm-hmm. or sure. this or that. Sure. But now, I'm, now you know, you read these, some of these authors we read and they're like, no, the timing of, especially your timing mm-hmm. of recovery really was coming along. There were massive changes in American society. Right. Right. I mean, if you time mine, it's kind of interesting because mine dovetails just so much with the birth of digital culture. Sure. Internet. You, you, yours that. does too, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I got my first email address not that many years before. And right. It was still pretty new. Uh, September 11th was in the first year of my sobriety. And oh, it was? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. I, I do recall that. Yeah. <laughs> you were not happy about it. <laughs> We don't have to go too far into that right now. <laughs> That's quite a story. Um, but that whole change in like global culture and yeah. global understandings of what's happening and the reorganization of the all kinds of things right. uh, happened there. So you get sober in 9-11. Yeah. And then in 2002, you start the second chapter two group, which is still going in Portland. And you start seeing those things spread kind of in the north and south shore of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Plymouth House starts in 2002. And, you know, for a while it was definitely chugga 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 chugga. Mm-hmm. Uh, this thing was spreading, but then it was, and you didn't really notice it when it happened. This, this stuff started happening. There was a dilution. Uh, money grab. Yeah. And I think a lot of people got disgusted mm-hmm. that were kind of players. That just sort of... It's still spreading. It's just not spreading what we thought it would. <laughs> the, the way we thought yeah. it would. Yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, there's the, the ideal that's, that's sort of stated in the big book for this phase of recovery. is not just that you'll chug along like a boat but you'll really do the spreading that we're talking about and it says like uh this is an approximation but it's like the simple talk uh of my friends at my dinner table spreads in a ever widening circle of peace and goodwill right right and i do feel like that we have more on the front end but we we were living in this thing where it really was this kind of Stuart movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. We were we were witnessing the instantiation, the realization of certain ideals in that yeah. book. Yeah. And it was it was powerful. And 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 then it fucking blew up. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest disillusionments of my recovery has been holy shit, we're living in this this all this creative spiritual potential and it's happening and it's growing and it's spreading and then you see behind the scenes of it and you see the results and it's like what the fuck happened and i still and i still don't have a good answer that's still something that like eats at me and it's kind of like 
corrupt, not corrupting is not quite right, but it's like definitely a problem in my recovery. It's like, what? I'm disillusioned. Mm -hmm. um, I liked my illusion. I liked my illusion that we were the center of, you know, spiritual spread of goodwill. Uh, I, I like I like some of the really more seemingly smaller and trivial pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Reading the same books and talking and yeah. cups of bad coffee and mm -hmm. funny stories. Yeah. Certain pieces of it, you're right, certain pieces of it that I would not have valued or known to value at the time. I look back on it and think that was the thing. I know, it's so wild. And you're like... The very, you know, the reason why I took that for granted was because I had every assumption that it would continue, yeah. that it was just baked into the thing and it would continue in the future. Yeah. And yet that is the thing that, those are the things that I really miss. Those are the things. Yeah. For me, it's almost always these little moments in between meetings and in between travel to talk or something. And it's like people who have some kind of experience really really trying to work out what it means together really trying to share and, that the, and then the, the newer person that has the powerful new fresh experience sharing oh, yeah right yeah that was uh, a big deal. yeah well we've gone pretty far i think we should yeah. just spend a few minutes at, at any rate talking about um the 12th step mm-hmm and I don't know how jaded you are on that one, but, <laughs> um, you know, for me, because so much of my work involved 12-step delivery, it still does, mm -hmm. that um, I just eventually just said, I, I can't do it. I can't, mm -hmm. as I do so much of this kind of in the trenches work, can't do it anymore so i stopped doing it meaning you stopped going to meetings and trying to get a sponsor well I, I don't sponsor people right okay now what i've done instead is i will i will track former clients i don't do the the nuts and bolts sponsorship but i call it you know mentorship uh -huh. like so these guys you know these guys that came out of prison and i'll help them with college you know Mm -hmm. Help them with their reading, and you know, we'll often be in the in the recovery wheelhouse the way we're talking and all that. But no, I don't, I don't do it anymore. Yeah, I haven't in a while. I have a sponsee now that that's going good, um, but I'm not. I haven't been in meetings for a while, looking for it or carrying the message, sharing my story that way. I haven't. And COVID is the reason, but there's plenty of Zoom meetings that I could be in, and I'm not. Um, I do like that. My when I say that it's a problem in my recovery, the sort of like looking behind the scenes and being disillusioned, it definitely has like um, made it harder for me to like read the big book or think about um, going to meetings. I go I, for a while here. I was in a big book study meeting and it was good, and it fell apart, <laughs> uh, kind of classically, and then. And, and there's some that are a little more like uh, clicky in a way that was like super obvious and like disheartening. And then some that are really fucking rigid, like you wear a suit and tie when you're my sponsee um, in a way that's off-putting and sort of like, man, I've been through all those phases. The best meetings that I found here were just like, I just go to an NA meeting and I just won't say shit about steps and I'll just talk about my week and I'll hang out with all you guys and we'll just be here together. Um, that was really healing for me when I was doing it. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the work that I used to do, like I always had a meeting that was like, I founded this meeting and I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up for it no matter what. And we'll see if it grows or not, or I'm going to, and then I have another meeting where I go and try to, I'm searching around for a way to carry my message in a little kind of a different way. Um, and it's faded into, you know, I'm working with, um, met matt on the all addicts anonymous literature we have a regular meetings around that um that's kind of the center of that sort of work and we're doing this and i'm writing it's not like i've well i mean of, yeah you know, i mean i guess my question for you is 
uh, you know, you, you did the dissertation essentially. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I'm interviewing people. And, right? But the, the thing that I would say that's so interesting, I, I don't know if you listened to that weird studies episode. Which one? I don't remember, but he uh, <laughs> was JF and he was talking yeah. about, um, oh, it was the one about um, Osho, the one about the Bhagavan, Nirajneesh. Oh, no, what no. he talked about is he was kind of taking exception to the spiritual, not religious thing. Yeah. And he says, you know, religious, his idea of it, not so much the orthodox following. Right. He said, it's when something, right. when something grabs you and there's this thing that will happen as a result of that, that you can't let it go and it won't let go of you. Sure. Okay. And I, I didn't think about you, of course, not about me. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? Then if that's if that's the way we're gonna we're gonna think about this, then I am as much of a twelve stepper as I ever was. Okay. Because it's like a marriage or something. Yeah, I got problems um, with yeah, some yeah. shit. <laughs> right. Right. And there's some things I really don't like and there's some things that don't seem to change. But I am existentially rooted in this. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. It's not like my I've like thrown it all away and gone on some like mission to something else. It's like, like you said, it's like a marriage. Like I'm very much informed, and everything about me is twelve steppy, and it's super problematic. Um, yeah, I'm not doing all the same things I used to do because I'm searching for something new. Yeah, but um, for a new way to do this. But we're both sort of rooted. You know, you're rooted in that. Freaking being on the floor in the bathroom at the Mantor yeah. Library. Yeah, You're yeah, rooted yeah. in that, right? Yeah, that's not going away. Yeah. That hasn't gone anywhere. And I'm rooted in being on my knees in Mount Kisco, New York. Right. And so I, I don't know. That was really helpful for him to hear him say that because I'm not a tourist with no, so, you know, I mean, we, you and I just did a lot of true confession that a lot of 12 steppers will have a problem with. <laughs> don't go to meetings, you don't sponsor anybody, blah, blah, blah. Sure. What are you? Right. But I'm still in it. You know, maybe not to other people's satisfaction, but I am. That's right. I am totally in the game. We wouldn't be doing this series if we didn't, if we weren't trying to fucking figure this shit out. <laughs> yeah. We weren't trying to carry this still. So I guess in, 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 in concluding, what I would like to say to the audience, and I know we've gotten one, heard from one person about this, mm -hmm. um, but if there are things in this general ballpark that you would like us to address, please get in touch with either one of us and we, sure. will, we will consider it. Yeah. We don't want this to necessarily be the end, but it felt like four episodes were a natural good overview of the content yeah reach out all right my pleasure till i see you again thanks Pierce. Thank you for joining us. For more information, you can find us at resistancerecovery.com.